You are about to listen to a message from Dan Moeller, a personal friend and family member of Rock City Church in beautiful Corpus Christi, Texas. Dan has an intense passion to see the body of Christ walk in their identity, know the love that God has for them, and then properly show that love to everyone that they encounter. So prepare yourself to be inspired and motivated to be more like Jesus and to love like he loves to everyone that you encounter. Amen. Thank you so much. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, grab your seats. My goodness. Man, that was good, Pastor David. That was that was solid. I was thinking five sessions. You ought to take the first three. I'll just jump in for the last two. <laughs> solid. See, I don't get to hear you freaks like that. Okay. Well, I am honored to be here. And I think, I have to confess, I think I'm just here because you guys are a lot of fun. <laughs> no, I felt strong in my heart to come back. I don't always do that. There's so many places to go. And there's, there's so many places out there that haven't heard, that really haven't heard a clear gospel. There's people that have grown up their whole life in church and haven't really heard why God clearly, why God sent his son. And they've only been told it's for forgiveness. It's for heaven someday. And that's all people know. And if that's all you know, then you can't become anything. If that's all you know, you just live life and lean on that truth, hoping for that day. And uh, man, the gospel. Wow, I feel like I could cry. The gospel's so much more. Who's here that who's here that wasn't here last year when I was here and that I've never met before? Maybe first time stuff. Wow. Are you kidding me? No, wait. I asked two questions, didn't I? Who never who's this first time you never heard me preach before? It was you the first time. That was all you. <laughs> they all reappeared. I was <laughs> oh, my goodness. So I was in Alabama and that many people raised their hands and the pastor said, oh, my goodness. He looked. He said, how many has never heard Dan? And it was that many people. And I went and he said, you're going to be like a mosquito in a nudist colony. <laughs> I was like, can you say that in church? I mean, I was like, what? And I sat there for a little and then I got up there and I opened my Bible and I said, man, I feel like a mosquito. And everybody was just like... <laughs> Because I guys got so many targets, you know, it's just. <laughs> but I see you clothed, amen. <laughs> Let's just get that straight. Don't want anybody misinterpreting, hearing what I didn't say. Man, I'm excited. That's a lot of people. Let me nutshell something and let's just preach what Jesus wants us to preach. I don't have a plan, but I, I'll tell you what. He knows everybody in this room. He's so personal, isn't he personal? Doesn't he know everybody? He really does. And uh, so, so my preparation is relationship with him, knowing him. Guys, knowing him is the biggest deal of your life. If you don't ever get to really know him, you'll be reduced to just trying to serve him. And then you'll think you're not doing good or something. And you'll just live at a distance. And you might go through Christian motions. You might be a part of something that's doing something in his name. But knowing him is the transformation of your life. Jesus never said that eternal life is praying a prayer to go to heaven. He said eternal life is that you might know him. The only true God. 
This is eternal life. That you might know him. The only true God in his son, Jesus Christ, who we sent. Isn't that awesome? Knowing him is the transformation of your life. And if you don't see how he sees you, you won't have the confidence to draw close to him and have intimacy with him. If you're unsure, if you have a wrong image of God and you don't see him clear, you'll never have the confidence to approach him clear. That's why his name's been so skewed. That's why there's so much out there about the Lord. That's why there's just a lot out there. And uh, you have to understand that God sees you through his son. And we're going to talk about the gospel and what it accomplished. And I just feel in my heart that the Lord wants to draw us so close to knowing him, so close to intimacy, so close to relationship. Like he's not just a God that meets our needs. He loves us and puts who he is inside of us. So who he is inside of us can begin to live through us so people see and know him. Like, like the, the goal of a service like this isn't what God can do for us. The goal is becoming more like him. He sent his son. His son, Jesus said, when you see me, you've seen the father. He said to follow him, the things he does will do if we believe. He's firstborn among many brethren. We're predestined to be conformed to his image. He connects us all through scripture and makes us one. He said, when you see me, you've seen the Father. But he told the guys that followed him to go in his name. He said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. Now go in my name. He didn't take long. He raises from the dead. says, all authority in heaven and earth is given unto me. Now go in my name. He passed it to them and said, go as I would go. Go as me. That's incredible. Now, I didn't grow up hearing that. I grew up hearing that he died on the cross because I'm a sinner. I'm always going to be, and I ought to be glad he died. And one day, if I stay in church, he's coming back and I can go to heaven. I don't know what you grew up with, but that's what I grew up with. And every pastor in my life told me that Jesus died on the cross because I'm a sinner. And I need to go to him to get forgiveness so one day I can get to heaven. And when I was 33, I got born again, had an encounter with God, and Holy Spirit through the scriptures taught me this. And I'll expound on it all weekend, and it'll be so full of scripture, there's no way around it. Jesus had to die. Let's get it straight. He had to die because we all sinned. But do you think he died just to forgive a whole room of sinners that are just always going to sin? He came to save that which was lost. Something got lost through sin. Something changed. Something was missing. He didn't just die to forgive you. He didn't just shed his blood so you're forgiven. He modeled a life that we were created for. He told us to follow him. This thing is more than something that serves me. It's something that changes me. I promise you the gospel's not a survival kit. The gospel's not a way to hold on and make it through. It's an answer for a brand new life in a brand new living way. Christ in me, the hope of glory. So why did he die? Well, he was made to be like us on the cross so we could be empowered to be like him. What's Corpus Christi mean? Wow. So I found her here. (laughs) 
Yay! Corpus Christi means body of Christ. So I guess if you come here, you ought to find her here, huh? Think about body of Christ. The embodiment of Christ. Now the body of Christ isn't our phrase. It's His. It's in His book. We didn't come up with that. He did. He calls us His expression. His embodiment. It's real simple. Everything God made man to be was lost through sin. And man got separated from God. So Jesus came and became like us. God didn't curse his son on the cross. He made his son to be sin. He cursed sin on the cross. He cursed sin in the flesh. Sin shall have no dominion over us. He crushed it. He conquered it. He's the lamb of God who the sin of the world. Okay, so he took it away. Now what? I guess we ought to live righteous, clean, accepted, forgiven, and sons, daughters. See, no one ever told me that Jesus died on the cross to redeem my value. They always told me he died on the cross because I was a sinner. Nobody pays such a high, ridiculous price as their innocent life if the purchased possession doesn't have value to them. Nobody pays $50,000 for a $20,000 car. It's not worth it. But he shed his blood for me. And he thinks it's well worth the price, his purchased possession. He knows what I look like when he's in me and I'm surrendered. He redeemed destiny and purpose and potential. He knows the truth about me from the beginning and believes his death is worth me coming alive again. See, if it's just always about your sin, the tree never changes. The tree's never made good. It's just about your ability to fail and this mysterious loving God that sees past everything I am. And that doesn't change your life. It just intrigues you. And it actually creates questions, not revelations. Because as a child, and I don't know about you, I used to think, well, why does he love me so much? Why does he care? I'm such a mess. Why does he want me in heaven? I don't even know him now. Why would he pay such a price to have me in this place called heaven and live forever like this big party? Why does he care so much about me? Nobody ever said it's because he created you for his image and he wants to redeem his image in you. He wants to get you back to square one where you're one with him and grafted back into the vine. And now you're the branch and fruits all over your tree. Yeah? Nobody ever told me that he died to redeem and restore my value, my destiny, my purpose, my potential. He just told me I was a sinner and I was always going to be and I ought to be glad that he forgives me and I better pray this prayer and when he comes, I better be in church. (laughs) I'm just telling you that's what I was taught. They didn't tell me I was the church. The gospel excites me. We got five sessions. I'm probably playing it real calm because I'm going to get really excited. I'm already there. I'm just suppressing it a little so I can communicate for a while. For God so. How can God love the places we've been? How can he love the guy is drinking shots, dancing on the table, has nothing to do with Jesus or for Jesus. But love says, that's not you, David. 
I know who you are from the beginning. I have destiny for you, purpose for you. And you might not have a clue who you are right now, but I've seen you from the beginning and saw your day and purposed your time. And I got a price paid for you, and I'm wooing you, and I'm calling you home. I love you. See? See, what love does, love doesn't see where he's been and what he's done. Love sees what he's created for and called to. And love doesn't fail because love doesn't change his mind. So on his darkest day, love said, I know who you are. Jesus, the best he could say on the cross, love in the flesh. Forgive them, Father. They know not. Read your Bible. It looks like they knew. They're scheming, planning, 30 pieces of silver. They got the thing all laid out. Loving their kingdom rather than his. Loving the praises of men rather than God. It sounds like they knew, but Jesus said if they really knew, they wouldn't be doing what they're doing. Forgive them, Father. There's so much more. He's not carrying the cross analytically, thinking and dropping it and mad and upset. How can they do this to me? No one's ever loved them like I love them. How many did I heal? I fed their hungry bellies. I raised their dead. And all they're trying to figure out is how, what demon possesses me. And He didn't just, I can't take it anymore. It's no fair. I don't deserve any of this. I've done nothing but good. God, if they didn't change by now, they're never going to change. What do we see in them anyway? Look what they've done to me. Come on, we all understand that language because life taught us to think that way. The spirit of the world and the wisdom of this age. But you don't hear that language in Jesus. Amen. You don't hear any of that in King Jesus. He is the way. He is the truth. And he is the life. Come on. He didn't teach us to think that way. He didn't teach us to love our own lives and despise one another. He didn't teach us to compete and have egos and get jealous and prideful. Amen. None of it's normal. It's all perversion. It's all perversion of his created value in us and our created value in him. It's all perversion. So he sends the, the way. He sends the truth. And in him we find life. And he says, this is what your life's called to. Follow me. He didn't say sing to me. Pray to me when you're overwhelmed. He said, follow me. <laughs> yeah. Come on, man. What's he say in Genesis 1? Let us make man what? Come on, guys. You raised your hand, never heard me preach. If you heard me preach, you hear me preach this all the time, and I'll never stop preaching it over and over and over. Paul said in Philippians, it's not tedious to write the same thing to you over and over again. For you, it's a safeguard. Hebrews 2 says, take earnest heed in the things you've heard, lest they slip away. Second Peter 1, Peter said, I write these things to you even though you know them and are established in them. But I think it's safe to stir you by reminding it. I'm going to be sure as long as I'm here to speak these things and make sure you have a reminder even after my decease and departure. Yeah? Yeah. So you can't say same old sermon, stale manna. There's no such thing. The word's alive and full of life, and truth makes you free. It never gets old believing he loves me. It never gets old believing I'm righteous. It never gets old believing the Spirit of God wants to live inside of me. Yeah? <laughs> I'm ready to get on the phone with you, man. Our phone calls will sound like this. <laughs> <laughs> That's our phone call. <laughs> hey, David. 
Yeah! Mm. <laughs> Whatever you do. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So in the beginning, when God makes the earth and everything, then he makes man. You guys know that, right? So then he makes man. He speaks everything, but he forms man. And then he what? But before he did that in 26, he said, man, he said, let us, interesting, isn't it? Let us make man in our image. There's intention there, guys. You can't miss this stuff. They got it up there? Let us make man in our image according to our, let him have dominion over everything. Wow, even the creep. And it's not people. <laughs> That's awesome. He got dominion over the creep. <laughs> and it ain't people. <laughs> Look at the next verse. He didn't waste no time. He said it in 26. He did it in 27. So God created man. He didn't just make man. We're not happenstance. He wasn't bored one day fiddling with some clay and sneezed on it and it popped up a man. He's, he made us with intention. See, there's life in God. So, so he breathes into man and man becomes a living being, a living soul. But look at this. You've got to get this. It's almost redundant. Look at the word. In 26 it said, in his image and his likeness. 27, so God created man in his own image in the image of God, he created him. I love this. Ladies, you ought to be excited. Male and female, he created them. Your, 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 your highest calling, ladies, is his image. You're not here to serve the man. You're not here to make up for what he's lacking in. You're not here. <sighs> <laughs> I'm calming down. I'm calming down. Listen. So what's the image of God? God is. Let's just settle this. He's not talking about a polo shirt and a little sun visor. He's not talking about how God looks. He's talking about who God is. In his image and in his likeness. When you think of God according to the word, not everybody believes this about God because they weigh God through life. They weigh God through circumstances and tragedies and loss. It's a lie from hell. We weigh God, Paul said, through creation and its mere attributes, no man has an excuse. If he would just look, he would see the awesomeness of God. Come on. We ask the wrong questions. We don't realize we, get, we take life personal through the fall of man. Every man for himself. We all have this journey we're on. We're trying to figure out life and who we are. And, and we got needs and wants. And it's amazing how people that don't think about God, don't pray to God, and hardly believe in God when tragedy happens, get mad at God. And then never even considered Him. <laughs> and somehow it's His fault always. And they say, well, if God was so good, then how come? And if God was so good, then why when I was four? If God was so good, then why? And I say, if he's not good, why did he send his son while we were all yet sinners? Sometimes we ask the wrong questions because we take life personal. Every time they asked Jesus a question from the wrong place, guess what he did? He said, let me ask you a question. You'll notice he never answered their question. Because it wouldn't have done any good. 
he had to challenge and realign their heart. He's not even going to take the time to answer the question. Well, let me ask you a question, Jesus. How can he said, well, let me ask you a question. People say, well, if God's so good, then how come it's not even good to try to explain that? You say, listen, if he isn't good, why did he send his son? Why Jesus die on the cross totally innocent and all he ever did was good? None of us in the room can say all we ever did was good. But all he ever did was good. The last man to deserve to die chose to die. That speaks to me. He must be on to something. He must know something. He must know something about the truth. He must be the truth. <laughs> he must know something. What would compel him to do that? The joy set before him. What is that? Man redeemed, man restored, man out of the lies and back into truth. Darkness removed, life over to death removed, life. Yeah? Wisdom of the world, wisdom of God. Mindset of the world, mindset of God. Yeah? <laughs> I bet you born again is a whole lot more than a favor you receive or a confession you make. Or a favor or blessing someday when your name's found in that book called life. I bet you born again is new life. I bet you born again is old things passed away and all things becoming new. I bet you born again is putting off the old and the old man and his deeds. And putting on the new man renewed in knowledge according to the image of the one who made him. Colossians 3. It's there. Verse 10. Isn't that awesome? So Jesus didn't just die on the cross to take you to heaven. He died on the cross to get you back to the Father so the Father could put himself back in you so that you could be what you were intended to be from the beginning. He redeemed us back to the beginning where God made man. Oh, man, you guys are rolling with all them scriptures. You can look at that. It's there. At least you see I'm quoting the truth. Oh, you could have let that up there. That's redemptive. But no, let it right there. That's good. So God created man, so God did it. Who created man? God. The believer. The believer believes that God made man. And the Bible's clear to teach us that he made man with intention. I'm sharing this strongly for the people that raised their hands. It's very foundational to me. It's very simple. I preach it a lot. When I saw them hands, I said, wow, we're just going to lay a little foundation. We're going to spring off of it. So if God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him male and female, that's our created value. That's what we're here for. So watch this. If there's a man on the planet, why? To be found in God's image. The only reason the Bible says man's here is for his image. So if the image got lost through sin, Jesus came, put the image of man on his son, put him on a cross. He shed his innocent blood. Now his blood's redeeming us and putting the image back on us. If you read your Bible clear, he was beat beyond description and recognition. Isaiah 52 said, marred more than any of the sons of men. That means when they were done beating Jesus, he was unrecognizable because he looked worse than any man ever has at the hands of any man. If he was, if he was marred more than any of the sons of men, you think of the barbaric, sadistic, sad things that men have done to men. You burn a man on a stake. How recognizable is he when the fire goes out? Jesus was marred more than any. What's the point? He had to lose his identity, his appearance, and his recognition. Because when sin got done with man in the garden, he didn't look anything like he was created to be. He lost his appearance. So Jesus lost his to pay the price to get ours back. You think I'm not going to take this thing serious? 
You think I'm going to get nervous in a crowd, get embarrassed by his name? While I was yet a sinner, he sent his son. When I was unlovely, he loved me because he loved me beyond what I was unlovely in. And he saw me for more than what I understood. I love him so much. Because he first loved me. The paradox is if you don't preach this gospel clear, people aren't stirred in love. They're stirred in obligation and duty. And they feel like they owe the Lord. And they believe the Easter story. And they believe the cross. And they feel indebted to him instead of in relationship. So they get reduced to serving the Lord instead of becoming one with the Lord. And that gets all twisted up. You guys with me? This thing is so amazing because every face I'm looking at and will ever look at for the rest of my life on the earth fits this description and he paid a price for everyone. So all of a sudden, every person has the same value. All of a sudden, it's easy to love and love people and realize, wow, everybody's worth this. There's every mountain's down, every valley's up. We're all in the same place. Equal value. God loves us all. There's no high, there's no low. Yeah? Yeah. How do you know that? Because it's the same price for all. Go into Walmart and see if the same price is on every shelf. you got so much different product and so many items. Why? Because there's so many different values. So you have barcodes and price tags and price checks and UPCs. But you go into the store of humanity, there's one tag hanging on every head. The blood of Jesus Christ. Why? Because every man has the same value, his image. You might have different callings. You might have different ministries. You might have different desires. You might have different dreams. But it's all about his image. What makes us one in the faith? What makes us the unity of faith? We believe some little different stuff. Some of us have diversities of callings and giftings and talents. How can we be one? How can we have one faith, one spirit, one mind? Because we all wake up for the same reason, his image. Now, here's the deal. If you wake up to be loved, you're going to be disappointed your whole life. And you're going to need men to feed something he already accomplished. But if you wake up to love, you're home free. Yay. Why did I just say that? Because the image of God is what? So God made man in his image. So God made man to love. So guess what happened through sin? The day you eat the tree is the day you surely die. Did Adam fall over dead? What died? The image. Who he was created to be was lost through separation with God. He got cut off from the source of love and became in need of love. And every man since that day, Romans 5, has been born into Adam and you must be born again. And somehow we turned that into a prayer to take me to heaven instead of love restored and life restored and destiny restored. Somehow we've made it a very religious thing and a self-serving thing and a God blessing me instead of transforming me. And if I don't get this message clear, you know what the grave deception will be? I'll think my mindsets, my emotions, and all the things I grew up saying and thinking are normal. And then I'll bring Jesus into that mess. And it's a muddy picture of truth. People say, well, God gave us emotions. No way. The emotions you grew up with, Adam gave them to you. And all your emotions are hinged on the foundation of self-centered thinking. Nobody taught you to be angry. You didn't have to go to school to learn jealousy. You did not take a course on fear. 
The fall of man is the fall of man. He's separate from God. The image was lost. Instead of being love, you were in need of love. Instead of being selfless, because love is selfless, we became bankrupt of love and became self-centered, self-focused, self-protecting, self-defending, self-justified. We've said our whole lives, I love you, and all we're saying is I need you. You work for me. Because we prove we don't understand love, bam, if things don't go the way. I love you, but don't do me wrong. All you're saying is I love you for me. And we've been ripped by our emotions. We've lived in a sensual world. And it's a dog-eat-dog, everybody-surviving, self-centered. We're trying to find ourselves along the way. From as long back as you can remember, as little as you can remember, you were needing honored, you needed to feel fitting in, you needed acceptance. And the lack of those things destroy people and make people hardened fighters. You either get broken or you survive. And all of a sudden, you're not even the person you're created to be. You're the person, whatever and however, through your personality makeup, you responded to what went down. And that's who you are. And that's why we get born again so old things can pass away. And behold, behold, how many things? See, it, and I know I'm on to something here because I, I listen to the language in the house of God. Well, you don't know what I went through when I was a kid. You don't know what it was like when I was growing up. You don't know what they did to me 13 years ago. Well, you don't know why I have trouble going to church because of this pastor. And we're letting all the things that happened to us along the way matter because they mattered so much because we were void of truth. We had insecurities, identity crisis, and we needed people to fill the blanks instead of the truth. And all of a sudden, we're letting life speak louder than truth. And that's a problem because truth's what makes me free. You can be a part of a church and try to find your identity and get solely disappointed. You can just come here to get acknowledged and be totally disappointed. You can just come here to be loved. It's backwards. You come here to love. You come here to celebrate him and to shine. Because as soon as you come here with a self-centered reason, that thing gets failed and you have a justification to stay the same and that same has never produced life. Yeah? So if I wake up in the morning for you to love me, I'm only as good as you're doing me. But if I wake up to love you, I'm already home free. Yeah? So what happened through the cross? Jesus redeemed us back to that truth. Back to where we got born again as if we never lived before, as if we were never born before. That's why you got to put away the past. That's why you got to put away yesterday. That's why you got to put away the unfortunate things growing up as a kid and the alcoholic daddy and the never said I love you and all that stuff. You got to put it away and say, wait a minute. No, I'm not going to let anything like that matter more over top of what matters most. The truth is he came and redeemed me from the lie. Men was in darkness. Men was spinning and cycling and people were all living for themselves, saying one thing and doing another thing. I'm not going to get caught in that and let sin reproduce sin in my life. I'm going to rise up and be a believer. I'm going to rise up in faith and say to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge is to be filled with all the fullness of God. I'm getting born again. Yeah? And then I'm going to find some water and I'm going to go under there and I'm going to die to everything that ever was, everything I ever was, everything that was ever done to me. And I'm calling myself dead in the likeness of his death. So surely I rise in the likeness of his resurrection in the newness of life. Yeah. It's Romans 6. It's all there. Yeah? yeah? That sure beats a quick prayer to go to heaven. 
It's heaven coming back into you. And you becoming one with him. And all of a sudden your mindsets, your motives, your reason for being is transformed. And all of a sudden I don't wake up for my wife to love me. I don't wake up for my kids to serve me. I don't wake up to see if they're going to fail. I wake up to be like God, to be like the Father, and to love. And that goes a long way, my friend. For 22 years in June, I've been living this way. And you don't live with me, but I do. And I like who I've become. I, I used to not like me at all. I needed you to compliment me to feel good about myself before I knew Jesus. And I might even live to get your attention just to get you to say something nice and feed on it a little. <laughs> It's twisted, man. You can get caught up in that in ministry. You can let your ministry identify you. You can let your calling identify you. You can let your gifting identify you. You can get a microphone and just try to manifest to impress somebody. It's dangerous stuff. You're trying to ride the opinions of men to the finish line. It'll never work. God has already made a strong statement about you. You're worthy of his son. You're worthy of his death. And you're worthy of his life. Now be a believer Put all that other stuff aside and find yourself through him so that you have a good view of everyone else. Are you guys with me? Listen, I'm being straight and strong with this. I know I seem a little aggressive right now. I'm just saying days of animosity, days of just fighting and then saying, well, you know, we always do this at home. We just we understand it. Just stop it. It's just the need to be right. It's it's it's. The silent treatment. Spouses, we're notorious for this stuff. We're, we get moody. Jesus didn't teach you the mood. So we just, yeah. So we just get a little quiet with each other. Send a little message through the afternoon. And once you get the spouse roped in and they say, honey, what? Or, hey, baby. You're like. It's control. It's manipulation. You're just boasting and not knowing the Lord. I didn't say you don't go to church, and I didn't say you don't see your need for Savior, and I didn't say that you didn't repent sincerely for your sins. But you don't know Him, and that's the goal, because that's eternal life. Eternal life isn't a prayer you pray in order. It's a relationship you have with the Eternal One, where His eternal life comes into you, and you'll forever be one, and you're never going to die. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to stay calm. I don't know how I'm holding together, man. This is the gospel. Yeah? So why'd God send his son? To redeem and restore truth. To save that which was lost. What was lost? His image in man. We've got this problem. The way that seemeth right to a man has taught us and schooled us. Our whole life we were tutored in the wrong school, in the wrong home. You were homeschooled in the wrong home. False mind, false teaching, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. It says if you have those things in your life, the love of the Father isn't in you. It doesn't say you don't go to church. It doesn't even say you don't pastor and lead worship. It just says if that's your life, the love of the Father's not in you. And what's the goal of our instruction? Love. The goal of our instruction is not commitment. The goal of our instruction is transformation. We're not here to get commitments. It's not the great confession. That's what we call Christianity in a lot of circles. The great, it's the great expression. 
Because if your life doesn't back your words, nobody's listening. You just have another human opinion, a doctrine, or whatever, and it falls on the ground. But if your life backs it up, they'll listen to your words. The Bible in James 3.13 says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them prove, let them show by the works of their life that their life is lived in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy, self-seeking in your heart, don't boast and lie against the truth. What's he saying? Self-centeredness is totally unscriptural. It's never the kingdom. Why? Because love isn't selfish. It doesn't seek its own. And selfishness isn't love. Where did we learn selfishness when man got cut off from love and became self-centered? Adam, how did you know you were naked? Did you eat the tree I forbid you to eat? It was the woman you gave me. She gave me to eat. It's the first expression of sin. Self-justification, self-defense, projecting, putting it on somebody else. What's he saying? Hey, 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 hey. Don't look at me. If you... When they gave me the woman, probably when they ate the tree. You guys work this out. So he goes, woman, what is this you've done? It was the devil. He made me do it. That's literally what happened. It's a sad expression. First expression of what sin did to man. It took two people that were naked and didn't even know what that was. They were such a holiness that they didn't even know what naked was. They were so clothed and covered in holiness, in purity, in innocence, that they didn't recognize naked. And as soon as they sinned, it was all lost. You think about that. He said, can you do me a favor and throw that Genesis 1 back up there in verse 27? That would be awesome. 127, if you could for me. You get it, let me know when it's up there. Sorry, guys. Yeah, I know. The guys are good, man. It's there already? Thanks. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Next verse, please. Please. Watch this. Then God blessed them. He didn't curse them. He blessed them. And God said to them, be... Right away, we think children, but the whole context of the created value is image. What are they to be fruitful and multiply in? The image of God. They're supposed to multiply the image till the earth is filled with his glory. Of course, it entails having children in his image, conceived in holiness, conceived in love, conceived in selflessness, each seed after its own kind. So all their children in this holy place are really being birthed in the spirit of truth, in the spirit of God. One with God, one with their parents. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. It has more to do with his image than getting pregnant. You guys with me? When they got thrown out of the garden... What happened? He assigned an angel there with a fire, a sword, and didn't let him back in. Which means it was a space. 
They were roaming somewhere else, but they weren't in the garden anymore. Right? So if you're fruitful and multiply and you're in a limited space, sooner or later you're going to grow out of your one-bedroom, two-bedroom apartment. What was the plan? Work this which I gave you, walk in my truth, and multiply the image till the glory of the Lord covers the earth. What's he say in Psalms 8? What is man that thou art? He says, crowning creation and glory. Who is he that you would visit him? Who is he that you would give him dominion over the works of your hand? Who is this guy called man? That's what the psalmist is crying out. What is up with this man? What is your thing with man? That's what he's saying when you read the psalm. He's, he's asking a question. Why are you so into this guy called man? That's why. Because he made him in his image and love never lost sight of the truth. He never lets sin against him in his own name produce sin in him because he's holy and he's God. He, he doesn't overcome evil with evil. He overcomes evil with good. For God so loved. It didn't say for God was so exasperated at wit's end and frustrated with humanity. He finally played his last card and sent the son. <laughs> sure. He's so love on your darkest day. He knew what he created you to be. And love saw you for truth, not your actions. Love saw you for something more than you understood was even possible because he knew you from the beginning. Ecclesiastes says there's a time to be born. And here you sit. Your life period reveals the will of God. You're not happenstance. 500 million sperm cells raced to an egg, and it was you. <laughs> yeah. Just eat your heart out. You don't even have to race. It's you. It's just you, man. Just you. I'll get there when I get there. It's me. (laughs) And you think you're a happenstance? You're not one of millions. You're one in millions. There's a time to be born. Suicide. You know why it's the biggest lie and tragedy that I believe it's the biggest lie that humanity gets caught in is suicide. You know why? A man gets so self-centered and self-fixed that he gets deceived into taking something that's not even his. You're not taking your life. You're taking his life in you. You're taking the potential of his life in you. It was, you were never made independent of him. People say, well, it's my life. It never was. It's his life in you. And suicide is the biggest lie because people get tricked to being so self-centered, self-focused, deceived, whether it's fear, anger, frustration, whatever the motive. To believe they have the right to take their own life when it was never yours in the first place. People say that about other things. Well, it's my life. Never was. Read your Bible, believers. It's always been about his life in you. What? Yeah. (laughs) Serious. His life in you. Who's ever heard somebody, or you might have said it yourself in prison, well, it's my life. Never was. Jesus said, if any man come after me. What man? That means everybody's invited. 
Anyone that calls in the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's people out there trying to like, I just had a young girl say to me, well, I, I'm so insecure and afraid. I've done so many bad things and I just don't believe I'm one of the elect and I'm one that's chosen. I said, honey, stop. That's too complicated. All that call in the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you have a heart for him, nobody comes to him unless he's drawn by him. If you have a heart for him, he's drawing you. Why would he draw you if he didn't want you? Just don't make this thing complicated. Religion is notorious at that. It's just so simple. Anyone who come after me, let him what? Deny. He didn't say let him pray a prayer and assure that his name gets written in a book called life. He said, if you come after me, there's the first thing I need you to do. The number one thing I need you to do is deny yourself. Stop making this about you because it never was about you in the first place. It was always about my image. The first thing you do is deny yourself. Why? You were never made for you. You were made for his image. So you deny yourself. Pick up your. That means you taxi through everything that life tries to throw at you. Everything that people do and say that are wrong, right, unfortunate. You never let the things around you determine who's in you. And how you respond to it. You never let what you're going through be the deciding factor. Because what he went through already settled you. Are you with me? Come on. Yeah. That's how we run the race, man. Worthy of a prize. Come on. You pick up your cross. You don't say, well, that hurt me. Well, they shouldn't have. Well, I'm upset. Well, they should have known better. All you're doing is justifying the flesh. And assuring you're not going to look like Jesus. You guys with me? Come on. Who's ever said, well, I know I'm not where I should be, but you don't know what I'm going through. I mean, this and this. See, this, this, and this isn't lore. But analytically and in the way that seems right to man, we let it dictate our life and govern our life. But the Lord is the supreme one, the ruling factor, the governing factor. Lord, supreme one, the governing, ruling factor, the one. So he's the Lord. Why are we letting other things determine who we are and how we're doing? You can't say until this changes, I can't be okay. No, he's he's never changing. (laughs) Get your eyes on the right place. You see? Come on. We've been taught this stuff our whole lives, like just our feelings. We just agree with them. We've been very sensual if we're not careful. We're to live by the Spirit and live by truth and live by his word. Man, if I can't find that stuff in his life, I don't want it in mine. Yeah? Do you know if you read your Bible, it tells you that discouragement is totally unscriptural and outside the kingdom of God. Discouragement. We think it's a normal, almost daily thing that we got to... If you're discouraged, where's your focus? So how'd you die to yourself? If you're discouraged, you're just analytically assessing how this thing's affecting you, isn't working the way you thought did it. But ultimately, it's all about you, and you're discouraged. But he's the God of all hopes. He's everything at once, and he's encouraged. Yes. Come on. It's just consider him. It's Hebrews 12.3. It's there. I read this book. It's called the Bible. It gives life. It's a good book. I read it once, man. (laughs) Look, if you don't fill your heart with truth, how are you ever going to discern lies? If you don't fill your heart with truth, how will you ever discern the way that seems right? Because it seems right. 
That should concern us. I don't want to get sucked into what seems right. Whoever was sure it was right, sure it was right, but it wasn't producing life. That's the way you know it's not right. Because he gives you life and life even more. So if your mindset's not producing life, it can't be the Lord. If your assessment isn't producing life and encouraging your heart and moving things forward, it's not Jesus. It's rationale. It's human reasoning. It's the wisdom of the world, friends. Come on. He says, consider him, Hebrews 12, 3, who endured such hostility against him. See, most of us receive hostility against ourselves. That's a prayer chain. That's a call to the pastor. That's calling three sisters or brothers to pray me through. Who, who endured such hostility against himself, consider him, lest you be discouraged and weary in your soul. What's he saying? Don't ever, now that you're saved and born again, get your eyes on yourself. Don't ever just sit and assess how things ain't working the way you hoped, dreamed, planned, how things ain't going right for you. Please don't make the gospel survival kit. Don't make this about God getting you through. You'll be so deceived. Like if you're a Christian for you, you're in for a lot of trouble. If you're a Christian for your sake, for your own well-being, for your own protection, if you're just making your motive of your Christianity your well-being, you're in big trouble. Yeah, I can feel that's not a happy response in my heart in the room. I can feel, I can perceive that. Because I'm sorry, so many Bible teachers have taught you otherwise. This gospel was never designed to serve me. It's designed to transform me. And just the fact that we can't handle that teaching, we've been so ingrained by it, we are very self-centered in our motive in Christianity many times. That's why when hard times come, we give up on God, we draw back, we go through spiritual laws. When tragedy hits, we don't read our Bible, we don't pray, we get mad at God. It takes us two months to even be able to talk spiritual things. I'm just being real. And it gives us away. And it teaches us that we don't understand surrendered. Love not my own life unto death. Endure hardship as a good soldier. Enlisted in the army of God. Never again entangling myself in the affairs of life. They're all scriptures. <laughs> Yay. See that soldier thing's on me right now. I feel it. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> on the night Jesus was betrayed. His idea of responding to betrayal was breaking bread and passing a cup and laying down his life and dying for those same people. You have to make sure on the night you're betrayed, you're not crying, calling a friend and going all through it. Why? Because we're following Jesus. Why? Because we're Christians. We're the body of Christ. We're not in this thing for blessing. Are you kidding? Dying to myself is the blessing. Not needing you to find myself is the blessing. Now I finally have a clear view of you. Yay, you look good. I used to think you needed cleaned up. <laughs> You're looking good. You look worthy of the blood to me. I think I'm looking at the roster of heaven. And I think he's good with it. And he believes you're enough. The proverb says, in all you're getting. Get understanding. That's why we do weekends like this. That's why we do services that's why pastor says this is busy. This church is busy at this church. we got stuff going on. We're moving forward. We're going out. We're stirring the pot, man. We're etching and sharpening and filing. and We're staying focused. We're gathering. 
and not forsaking and gathering ourselves together as more as we see the day approaching in order that we might stir one another in love and good works, not blessings and a higher pay raise. And if those things come, great, believe for them, but don't camp on them and let them decide your disposition. That thing ought already, already be settled. My disposition, the joy is in my salvation. And, and me, you say getting free from sin, getting free from me. It's the biggest deal of my life. That's what I'm free from. You say, what are you free from, brother? Your sins? Yeah, because I'm free from me. And every sin I ever committed was attached to me, wanting for me and needing for me. You get rid of me, we got rid of a lot of trouble. Come on. And we almost preach the gospel in America and make it all about us. Where we become Christians for our sake instead of his great name. And all of a sudden, if God doesn't pull through, we have an attitude. And I held him to his word, and I reminded him of his word every day, and he, didn't, he wasn't faithful. I, I was in the car with a pastor, and they said, I don't know what to do with the church because I don't want to just resign, but I can't tell you the last time I read my Bible because every time I read it, it reminds me how much he's failed. Pastor said that to me in a car. I am the wrong person to say that to. I love you too much. I am going to drill that thing out of you. <laughs> I'm just telling you. I'm serious. I had them in time pull over the car and cry and sob and cry because they just saw how horribly deceived they've been. Yeah. We just... You know, he's literally just challenging God and testing him in his word. And we take some of this stuff. I was with another pastor. He said, I went up to him and said, hey, I was at a conference. I said, you want to hang out? You want to go to lunch? He said, what? I said, let's go to lunch. I just feel like it'd be good to go to lunch. I don't know you, but I just felt drawn to ask you to go to lunch. Are you serious? I said, yeah. He said, okay. So we get in the car and he said, it was a big old conference. There's people everywhere, and usually they're trying to shatter you and protect you and get you away from a mob because everybody wants prayer and impartation. But I just found this man and asked him if we go to lunch. So I said, man, what's going on with you? I feel so drawn to you. He said, well, I've resigned from pastoring. This is the first time I've been in church for about three or four years, whatever he told me. I said, what? He said, yeah. He said, I said, well, why'd you come to the conference? He said, I don't want to be here. But he said, I do know the voice of the Lord. I said, no, wait a minute. You resigned from pastoring, you haven't been to church for three or four years, but you know the Lord's real and you know his voice. Yeah. I said, whoa. It's crazy to just ignore the Lord, to just be like, whatever. When you actually believe he's real. Like just to forsake that. That's, that's a scary thought. I'm like, what? You don't even want to teach your heart to be that numb. Yeah? So I said, what's up with you? He said, well. About three or four, whatever years ago it was. Let's just say four. I think it was four. But four years ago, I took him at his word. He said, if I lay hands on the sick, they'll recover. So I went out in the streets, prayed for a couple of sick people, and they didn't get healed. And I said, well, God, if you're not going to do your part, I'm done doing mine. I said, come on, man. So you didn't think about, like, growing your heart in faith and revelation and staying humble and continuing in truth. And maybe faith isn't always a point in time. And maybe healing isn't always, bam, right in the moment. Maybe there's some things we all need to grow in. Two, Ephesians 4. Well, he justified and talked around it. We stopped for lunch. He said, where do you want to eat? I said, let's just go into Subway. I love Subway. It's simple, it's easy, and it's good. 
So there's your subway commercial. <laughs> From a man of God at that. You ought to go there. So <laughs> I'm just kidding. So, so we go in there to subway, and there's really not anybody in there, which is unusual in subway. But I forget if we were late or early for the lunch hour, but it was a time where there wasn't really anybody in there. And we're, we're, we're getting our subs made, and he's just standing there, and we were going to talk more when we, but it's time to order our subs. So we're just, I'm just doing my subs. He gets in behind me. I don't even know what he's ordering. I'm just watching, and yeah, that, yeah, good. Yeah. Thank you. And I'm just, thank you, Jesus. This is good. And she's wrapping it up, and I, I lean over the counter, and I said, honey, what happened like, it's just about three years ago. It's over two and a half. It's almost three years. You hurt yourself. Were you in an accident? She looks at you like you're psychic, like you did today. It was beautiful what I saw you do today, just in the Lord, beautiful. And I just said, you in an accident? She said, how, how do you know that? It was three years. I said, yeah. And she said, I was in a car wreck and whiplash stuff. She said, I got this, I got stuff on it. And I said, it bothers you all the time. She said, all the time. I'm never free from it. She said, I just endure it. I do take some meds, but she said, I just work. I figure it's something I got to deal with, live with. It's the way it is. It's very young. I said, oh, my goodness, honey. She said, how did you know that? And we have this little phrase. No, you don't get mechanical with this stuff. We have this little phrase that means something to us. We laugh and we say, isn't that awesome that I knew that? That is so crazy. How did you know that? Listen, I'll talk about that in a minute. Give me your hand because it gets so much better. <laughs> That's what we did right in Subway. Now, I, I forget he's with me because I got my eyes on one little girl who Jesus paid his life for. Yeah. I got my eyes on one little girl who he gave me word for, yeah. who he knows intimately and personally. Oh, that's pretty good. And he gives me the honor of loving her. So I took her hand. We prayed. She's like, and usually they say, what did you do? I say, well, I really did nothing but believed on the one that did something a long time ago. He's amazing. His name is Jesus. Yeah. What can they say if their body's changed right there? So she's like, whoa. Whoa. She's freaking out behind the counter. A couple people rolled in. They need sandwiches. She looks at the little girl she's working with. She said, Watch what she said. She has no Christianese in her life. She's no Christian language. She said, can you do the same thing for her? She said, she's in so much pain. I'm sure she's in more pain than me. I said, you girls are so young. What happened to you? She's like, I don't know. But she got so touched by the expression of love. She could tell I had compassion. She could tell it was for real. It's not on TV. She's not assessing it through a video. It's live in person, and that's her friend, co-worker, who she knows isn't making nothing of it. She's got her whole neck, a spiderweb tattoo. Her whole neck is a spiderweb tattoo. And I'm not pointing that out in any that way other than she had a black widow right in the middle. I mean, there's a statement there. She's saying something. And I'm looking around like, oh, you precious thing. I'm not like, oh, gross. Look what you did to your neck. You're going to have that on you when you're 45, 85? <laughs> You just, I just noticed it, and I thought, you know what? She's making a statement. She's, she's not just into tattoos. She's making a statement. There's some other things. You know what I'm saying. I'm not judging. I'm just, man, I love her. All I know is I care about her because I know Jesus paid a price for her. You say, how can you love these people you don't even know? Because I do know them. There's a time to be born, and there she stands. Her time's now. Her life period is the will of God to me. Jesus paid to redeem it. 
He loves the girl. It's that simple. He doesn't have to dress right, whatever that means, talk right, whatever, because usually that's attached to our own preference and self-righteous attitudes. And you're just taking your preference over another person's, and you're disapproving. <laughs> it's like hairstyles. Who cares? Who cares if somebody has a mohawk, if they're into a mohawk, if they're not just doing draw? We just think that everybody does what they do for attention. But maybe not. Maybe they just like purple. I'm just telling you. Yeah, well, and if you have that kind of pure heart, then you can address those things. Because I worked with a guy that had a purple mohawk. He ran from me like the plague. I wore Christian t-shirts. I talked Jesus when they talked. I didn't just go and preach with a bullhorn. I didn't. They just saw my life was different. And they would inquire, why are you like this, man? They would just say things. And now I left them knowing the orientation that Jesus saved my life and changed my life. And I'm in love with him and it freaked everybody out. So they all knew that. But then they saw my life. Oh, you have no idea. They were freaked out. I could have said I was into something else. And they go, oh, as soon as I mentioned Jesus, they're hiding behind their newspapers. They're, they're picking our eight-man teams. And when my name wasn't called for a team, the team would celebrate because it wasn't me. And then when I got called on the team, they were all going, please, on your team. Funny thing is, the day I left there, those guys were huddled around and said, what are we going to do without you? You're like a dad to us. The, the company had a floor meeting. Head brass guy stands there and announces to everybody, it's my last day. Never in the history of the company did they have part-time. They offered me part-time to keep me there. It's honorable to him. You know what he said? Don't hear it wrong, employees. We appreciate all our employees, but we often sit in the room with all the supervisors and we can fill this house with, with this warehouse with guys like him. It would be a dream come true. Exemplary attitude, never argues. Yes, sir, and does his work beyond what's expected. This man has been a gift to this warehouse and to many of you, and we wanted you to know it was his last day unless, in case you wanted to give your regards. They did that for me on my last day at the job because they did it for him. I'm, I'm going to get started. And a Spanish man runs up. He has very broken English. He's a short little guy. He runs up. He says, I'm so sorry you leave. I'm so sorry you leave. And I said, it's all right, man. I got to go back to pastoring. And Oh, you're such a good man. Such a good man. I said, oh, listen, Jesus in me. A few years ago, you wouldn't have said I was a good man. You know? And he wasn't hearing it. He says, no, no, no. And you're not even supposed to do this. He climbs up on the equipment. Big old power jack. Double power jack. He gets up on the battery. He's standing on the battery. He says, I meet good men in my life. And then I meet some good men in my life. But you is a good man. And I'm like, get off the battery. He was just... Robbie runs from me. He has a purple mohawk. I could care less if he likes purple, if he likes a mohawk. Have at it, buddy. What's to say my hairstyle's better? That's just so weird and presumptuous. But here's the problem with Robbie. You walk by him and he's sick. He has the flu. And when he's finished his order, he's leaving. God sets him up because God loves him. He's not mad at Robbie. He's like, look at that hair. Could you picture the Lord? Look at that hair. And then he uses royal purple. What blasphemy? Could you picture that? Doesn't that sound silly? 
So I get an order. He's picking all this stuff, and I got an order where I'm running aisles. So guess who I'm catching up to? It's the Lord. I'm coming, and he can't do nothing about it. He's working, and I'm coming. And then I get a case, and I'm coming, and I get a case, and he's like stuck there getting all these cases. I pull right up beside him. I said, hey, man, I heard you're not feeling good. They said you were leaving. Yeah, it's that flu thing, man. It's hitting everybody. I just got to go. I'm just going to finish you. I said, listen, man, I know you're real uncomfortable around me. You run for me like I got some kind of plague or something, man. No, no, it's all right. We're cool. We're cool. I said, no, it's not cool. I said, I know why your hair's purple. Right out of the blue. It just came out of my mouth. (laughs) So random. I said, I know why your hair's purple. He looks up at me, and you could see it in his face. He was going to get mad. He's thinking I'm going to give him a lecture why his hairstyle is sinful. I said, I know why your hair's purple. I know why you wear it that way. He said, what are you talking about, man? And uh, I said, yeah, and I realize why you're uncomfortable around me with my Christian T-shirts and stuff and talking about Jesus. I said, you know your hairstyle breaks your heart, the heart of your mom. Your purple hair breaks your mom's heart, and she Bible-bashed you your whole life growing up. And she always said, the devil saw that, and you're going straight to hell, and why don't you serve God? And I said, your mom did wrong, but she thought she did right. And she was afraid for you, and it was the best she knew, and she Bible-thumped you day in and day out, and you resent the gospel. And you think every Christian is like what your mom portrayed growing up. And you know your hair breaks her heart, and it makes you feel even. He freaked out. He said, how can you know that? How can you possibly know that? Because the God she misrepresents is the true and living God. And right now he's loving you the way he's always wanted to. Please forgive your mom. She didn't know any better. She did the best she knew and she was in fear. But I'm telling you, he is good and he's awesome. Now give me your hands because that flu's coming out of you. And Robbie goes. <laughs> and after I prayed, he had a perfect laying hairstyle. It looked just like mine. And it... I said, amen, and opened my eyes. It looked just like mine. (laughs) No, I know that was God. No. No. It so freaked him out because I knew why he was wearing his hair that way. Nobody can know that but the Lord. So it put Jesus right in front of him, man. And all of a sudden, you ain't Bible thumping him. You're demonstrating Jesus. You're giving him the Lord. Well, that should be because I'm the body of Christ. I'm the embodiment of Christ. Now watch. If I have projections projections on Robbie, if I have pretense towards Robbie, if I have first impressions of Robbie, I probably can't hear nothing about Robbie. But if I see his value and I love him, God can tell me what's up with him. And we can go bam and God can go bam. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. It's called the excellent way. Love. He said, earnestly desire the best gifts. What's the best gift? The one needed in the moment. I want them all. Right? But what's the best one? The one needed in the moment. I understand prophecy and that we all might prophesy. I understand that in Corinthians. But earnestly desire the best gifts, yet still I show you a more excellent way. The Lord told me a long time ago, he said, Dan, I can tell myself anything. If you become one with my heart, you're in. what he said to me in my bedroom. He said, Dan, I can tell myself anything. And if you become one with my heart, you're in. I'll tell you. I'll speak to you freely. 
He has shown me young girls that have been molested and given me the name of the uncle that did it. And he has done a lot of things over the years where you hold them and you tell them what you see and you tell them what God tells you and it brings healing and deliverance all in one sweep because it's God. They don't need counseling and years of this and they don't need a bucket of oil and they don't need devils cast out. They just need to see clear. That's all they need. And if God starts giving that kind of info, I remember walking up to a lady years ago. I said, you have two sons. They're both in their 30s. One's the oldest is in prison and the youngest is heading there. And you blame yourself as a mother and you're living self-condemned. And you said in your heart, if I was a better mother, they wouldn't be there. And she hyperventilated and couldn't even breathe. And God wanted to get that thing off of her because it was stealing her productivity. Her boys were in her 30s making decisions and she's taking the rap as a mother. Yeah? You want those kind of things in your life. That sure beats just getting a pay raise and people not picking on you and the boss treating you right. That is not our prayer motive. Our prayer motive is rocking the world with a living Jesus that knows everybody and loves people. Yeah? yeah. <laughs> I don't know how I got on all them stories. The subway story. Yeah. Thanks. Man, you didn't even give us a chance. We'd have probably jumped right back there. <laughs> no, it's good. I reached over and I prayed for that little girl. I asked her what the pain is. She said she doesn't know, but it's nonstop. It's, it sounded like a fibromyalgia. It sounded like some kind of thing. Who knows what it was? But she didn't get it tested or checked out because of doctors and bills and fear. She's just living it. I said, do you hurt right now? She said, all over. I said, oh, my goodness, honey, give me your hand. I still... I haven't even thought about the pastor guy that I'm with because my eyes are on these kids. So I pray for her. She starts weeping. The presence of God comes on her. And I said, check your body. What she said, I can just tell her better. And the other girl, and they're holding each other. It's the sweetest thing. They're the subway girls. There's... <laughs> Tall black gentleman comes out. He's listening. He's going to run the register. He was the coolest, funniest guy. So I get done praying with her, and I said, listen, we got to move. you got some customers, okay? And I look, and I said, hey, man. He said, I'm good. I'm good. That's just what he did. I was like, what? He's like, I'm good, man. I'm good. I said, okay, man. You look good. Praise God. You know, I'll pay for my sub. So I go down, and I sit down. Pastor follows me. He pays, sits down. I'm opening up my sandwich, and I never was thinking about him. I'm just loving girls, these girls, right? I look up and he's undone and he's crying. And he said, man, now I see why he brought me to lunch. God's rescuing me. He said, I've been so presumptuous. He said, I went out and prayed for the sick. I didn't take the most important thing. I missed love. And he started bawling. And I said, come here, man. I'm holding him in there. And so watch. The girls make the sandwich for these two guys, right, that come in, or two people, and I think they just carried out. As soon as they didn't have a customer, guess what they did? They come right around. Can we sit down with you guys and eat? And we're like, sit down. I'm serious. They were fired up. And they probably didn't look as flaky as I look, but they, well, they were pretty fired up. And, and we just talked Jesus and talked the kingdom and prayed with them and laughed. Isn't that fun? 
oh my goodness. And here was a pastor that took God's word literally without the heart of God, without relationship with God, without communion with God. He just reads the word and says, okay, you said you'll do this. I'll do my part. You better do yours. Come on. We're in a covenant relationship and he's our father. And we're his children and like father, like son. Yeah? Yeah? I want people to say, man, you look just like your daddy. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I don't know how I got so late. I got late. Did I get late or did you just give it to me late? (laughs) 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 Woo! (laughs) There's something about living this life, guys. There's just something about living this. I got notes, man. I got notes all over the place. Gee, I got, I got notes everywhere. My wife stuck this in my Bible a couple months ago. I haven't taken it out. I have two cards in my microphone case. I just left them in there. I read them every once in a while. They're actually only about two months old. This is from my wife. This isn't from a YouTube fan. <laughs> this is from a lady that lives with me and sees my life daily. I'm going to tell you what she wrote. Not so you get judged by it, so you get inspired by it. In my marriage, it's not about my wife loving me. You say, well, marriage is 50-50. Marriage is a lot of work. Marriage is I love you. And all that is mine is yours. And I'll give my life to you to bring the best out in you. And then your spouse goes, okay. (laughs) And because the love is pure and because it's from God, her creative value responds and says, All that is mine is yours. I love you. You really owe me nothing, but you give me your life. And man, I just want to give mine back to you. And all of a sudden you have this one plus one is a stronger one. It's called God's intention for marriage. So we don't have arguments. We don't have push and shove. We don't manipulate. There's zero animosity. It takes two to tango. It takes one to make peace. Now you can blame your life on your spouse, but you're being deceived. Because you're saying they're greater than the Lord. You'd say, well, I wouldn't be this way if they weren't. Why are you making them Lord? Why don't you be like Jesus, period? Could you picture God having this conversation about you? Somebody that's humble, shoot out your name. Don't all shoot at once. Just somebody say your name that's humble that I can use an illustration. Say your name. Huh? Ryan. Ryan. Okay. Could you picture in Ryan's younger days and he's just doing whatever he's doing for a season and God's sitting there with Jesus and Jesus saying, did you see that? Yeah, I saw it. Well, what do you think of that, man? I mean, he knows better. Yeah, I know. That just gets on my nerves. I don't even know what we're going to do with the boy. I mean, how many times do we have to convict him of the same thing over and over and over? If, I mean, if he didn't get it by now, he probably don't. I mean, he probably doesn't love us. Yeah, I know. I mean, I'm wondering why I even paid a price for this kid because... He knows better in his heart. Could you picture that conversation in heaven? It says where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. Not to empower sin, to crush sin and restore value. What, what grace does is says, you are so much more than that, Ryan. I love you so much. Would you come out of darkness and into the light? And as sin abounds, grace comes and <laughs> overtakes the person. Yeah? Isn't that a big deal? My wife, she wrote this note to me, okay? 
Now, you have to understand, she's, she knows me in an intimate, everyday way, so don't take this personal, guys. It's, it's from her. It's from her view. But you want these notes. I promise you want these notes. She says, hope you have the best weekend ever. See, nobody knew she wrote this. She wrote this to me. It's not because she watched me on YouTube. You're a true man of God. And I doubt God can find many men, if any, parentheses, on this earth with your integrity, your character, and good heart. That's from my wife. Do you know why she wrote that? Because I wake up every day with a reason to be like Jesus. And no matter how she's doing or what she's doing, that's not going to change. Because I love not my own life unto death and denied myself. I'm picking up my cross and I'm following him. And I'm not going to let her decide who I am when I say I love you. Because love takes no account of the wrong done to it. Because love doesn't seek its own. And I'm telling you, especially married folks, we can live this way. And you say, well, you don't know the spouse I'm living with. <laughs> and then you prove that I'm talking to you. Because if God ever said that to you, you're hopeless. If God ever said, I'm tired of putting up with you. You're done. So if you can't find that mentality in the Lord through his son, why would you hold on to the right to it? When I teach this way, I say, please don't be quick to elbow your spouse, because then I'm definitely talking to you, the one that elbowed. We're notorious for listening to messages for one another instead of ourselves. And we get super spiritualized and. We're like, oh, he's reading her mail right now. I hope she's listening. And then right when I'm talking, what she needs to hear, she gets her purse open and starts getting out gum. You lying, distracting devil. I bind you. Get off my wife. Break your power. I'm telling you, people do that stuff. They get crazy with that stuff. And the whole time they're proving I'm talking to them. Because they're being dictated by where their spouse isn't. And it's ruling their life all the time. So when they hear a message, they think of them right away. It's projecting, presumptuous, and self-righteous. You become the word. You don't project it on one another. And when you become the word, you'll see clear. And you'll see the best in everyone. I'm going to tell you this. I believe it's totally possible to have peace in our homes. I believe it's totally possible to not always agree and have total peace anyway. Because nobody needs to be right because we're called to love. People say, well, they just get on my nerves now and then. I'm talking about you getting new nerves. I'm not talking about them changing. I'm talking about you getting new. Well, they get under my skin. Get new skin. See, that's preference stuff that the world taught us. Could you picture the Lord saying, you know, David's cool and everything, and I got that pastor you're phoning, but every once in a while, he just gets under my skin. No, he absolutely adores this man, and he absolutely loves him. Yeah. Yeah? 
So did Jesus teach us to be that way? That other way? Then we probably ought to come over to the way. And here's the cool thing. Everything I preach tonight, you can live apart from any other factor in your life if you keep believing. And what that brother said, who, who opened up? Was that, is it Jeremy? Jeremy. Yeah, you're right there. Jeremy, it's on your name tag. <laughs> no, he said, all you need to do, this thing is simple. All you need to do is be a yes. Now you think about what I preached tonight. And what would happen if you sincerely become a yes. And you take it off of everybody else in your life and family. And you say, wait a minute, this thing is on you and me, Lord. If you called me to love and created me for love, then I'm becoming love. And it doesn't have anything to do with who is and who isn't. It has to do with who you are in me. You created me for this. This is creative value. Watch this. If God put man on the earth for his image, then living for anything else isn't why you're here. No wonder life feels like a grind because you're living it outside of your reason for being. You're expecting him to fill the tank to drive down a road you're not created to drive. You're looking for grace to empower you to go where you're not called to be. So if you and I wake up tomorrow morning to become love and to walk out his image, that's the start of the unity of faith. And how precious it, pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in unity. It doesn't mean they all agree on the same things doctrinally all the time. It means they all live for the same reason. To be like him. <laughs> so powerful. And how precious that place is and how anointed that place is. The full flask over Aaron. Even down over his beard. What's he talking about? The full manifestation of the anointing and power of God on his people when they all live for the reason he sent his son. Yay. That's probably a good reason to get born again right there. You have been listening to an audio message from Dan Moeller presented at Rock City Church in the beautiful Corpus Christi, Texas. Thank you so much for taking time to listen. Please visit us whenever you're in town, and our prayer is that you'll continue to be inspired and wind-driven in all that you do.